People like you, organizations like Great Check, I love you guys. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Ramp Check Podcast. Should we call this the Thanksgiving edition? I guess we can. <laughs> uh, we can, but I'm a little off because you didn't do the intro. First. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm Tony. <laughs> I'm Aaron. I'm Ryan. And now Whoa. we can continue. Did you hear how fast Ryan was? I know. That was good. That good was pretty timing. impressive, brother. Thank you. Yeah. He's sitting right next to me, so we can't blame it on a delay. So we're recording the <laughs> podcast from a couple of different locations. Uh, oh, wait. We usually do anyway. But um, Yeah, um, for the most part. Yeah. But this time, Littlest Brother and I are sitting next to each other today. Um, hopefully we can get through it without any issues. And, uh, Aaron is recording from, uh, his remote location, AKA the Ram check office. And I <laughs> hear a little bird saying we might have a special guest on the podcast tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, do you want me to go ahead and introduce him? Sure. Cause I can tell oh. he can't wait to talk cause I'm hearing him chuckle in the background. I know. He's like, he's like, who the hell are these guys? Um, so, so our guest tonight, it's uh, really cool. Awesome background. Uh, just, uh, you know, a quick little bit of our guest. Um, he was the 2018 FAA CFI of the year, which is awesome. Um, he was in the United States Air, Floor, Air Force, excuse me. He flew <laughs> T-38s, B-1s, that's right, B-1s, and MQ-9s. Um, he actually flies now a Yak-52 and a Decathlon. Helicopters, he's got that too. R-22s, <laughs> R-44s, H-269s. He pretty much does it all, everybody. So uh, we welcome uh, Dan Taz Chrisman on the podcast, and I'll go ahead and call you Taz. Sure. Uh, hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for jumping on. Yeah. So, okay. I'm just going to say something. I'm going to get this out of the way right now, okay? Because I know, I know one of us is going to slip up, and... Let the cat out of the bag. So I'm just going to let the damn cat out of the bag right now. We sure. we recorded um, an episode with Dan. Uh, what was it, about three weeks ago, roughly? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And due to um, lovely technologies out there, we don't know what the hell happened. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, for some technical issue, the recording actually didn't work. We we got a few bits and pieces, but anyway, so um, so there might be a point in the podcast where one of the three of us says, "Well, hey, remember last time when we said so?" <laughs> yeah, I know. Just so we don't look like idiots, I'm I'm just gonna get that out there right now. So so Taz, thanks again, man, uh -huh. for uh, setting aside more of your personal time to uh, sit down with us so we can get this one right. Absolutely, yeah, this is fun. I appreciate it. That's good. Hopefully yeah, we, hopefully, you have as much we, fun this time as we did last time. <laughs> yeah, it was, 
Absolutely. We did. It's so cool. I mean, how, how can you go wrong when you're talking about, you know, flying and especially B1s too. I can't wait till we get to that portion of the podcast because, I mean, the B1 is, I mean, how could you say it's not, if not the most badass aircraft out there right now? Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh. You know what I should have done? I could have just... I could have just said, hey, let's just act like this is the second time we've had Dan on the podcast. And, you know, just leave our <laughs> listeners kind of scratching their heads. Well, you remember a few episodes ago, and we loved Taz so much, we decided to have him back for another episode. Kind of, yeah. sort of, it worked out that way. But, uh, but no, Dan, thanks again for, having, for coming back on with us. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. Hey, I'll, I'll jump in here and ask the, uh, the first question because um, – I always like to ask how it all started. Um, have you always been an av geek? Were you born with the blood? Uh, at what point did you know you wanted to fly, be around aircraft? Um, how did it start for you, Taz? Uh, you know, it, it, I always say, you know, when I was a little kid, I've, I've wanted to fly ever since I, I can remember. And uh, my dad was in the Air Force. He was, he was enlisted. He was a maintenance officer, so he didn't fly. But uh, he would take me down to the base, and I would I would see the planes flying around, and I, I just kind of always knew that that's that's what I wanted to do, you mm -hmm. know. So every time I you know something would fly overhead, I would have to look up and, and see what the heck it was, and, uh, <laughs> and that's just kind of where it started. Yeah. So. But, and uh, yes. What where was that? Where 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 so did you was, grow up? I, I was I grew up in Indiana. Uh, okay. Rochester, Indiana, small little farming town. But uh, my dad was stationed at Grissom Air Force Base, um, which is just north of Kokomo, uh, Indiana. And uh, they had, at the time when I was a little kid, they had KC-135s and A-10s there. Oh, and cool. So I, I grew up seeing seeing both of those uh, planes flying around. So it was, it was kind of neat. So, um, but yeah, so, and then, uh, you know, I, I always wanted, to, like I said, I always wanted to fly. And kept bugging my parents for uh, for flying lessons, and they finally told me they're like, "Well, if you make the honor roll, then we'll we'll start getting you some some flying lessons." And so I I kind of worked my butt off, and I got on the honor roll once. <laughs> that's all it takes. That's so, all okay. they requested. That's all you needed, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. They didn't say you had so, to stay there. <laughs> that's true. They, that, that was the loophole. I was like, "Hey, I made it to the honor roll." So, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so that, that started my flying lessons, and I, I actually started. I did my first lesson when I was eleven, and uh, oh, that's the, cool. You know, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty young, so you know, they just kind of spaced it out a little bit. I think I did like a, a lesson a month or something like that until I uh, until I was fifteen, and then uh, then I kind of started ramping it up just a little bit more, so I could solo my sixteenth birthday, mm -hmm. and then uh, got my private a year later when I was seventeen. So um, that that's, is that's so kind of cool. how it all started. Wow. Yeah, so it'd be funny. It'd be funny to go back if there were ever any recordings of your lessons, where <laughs> before puberty and then after puberty over the radio <laughs> calls. You know, sounds like oh, Mickey Mouse in one. And then like, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'm sure it did. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, funny. That's, so Dan, when your balls dropped? No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> where, that was Tony, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> where, no, that wasn't really the first part of the question. I'm actually asking a question now. Um, where where did you go on your first cross country or your first solo? Was it just like around the patch? You just went up for a little bit, or what? Did you yeah, 
patch. Yeah, it was the pumpkin <laughs> patch. What the hell? Are you? <laughs> the corn patch. I was in Indiana. <laughs> but, oh but, my uh, god! Yeah. sorry. <clears throat> no, no, it was uh, yeah. It was most of the time when you do your initial solo, it's just a you know just a pattern only type of thing. And mm-hmm. we started out. We wanted to get really really early because the winds were supposed to pick up and. Uh, so I think I think my initial solo I think I sold it like six thirty in the morning or something like that. So mm-hmm. I think wow I was born some somewhere around like five or five thirty in the morning. So they all said everybody always said that I was sixteen years and like one hour old when I when I did my solo. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, nice. Yeah, it was it was a cold cold February morning. It was you know it was supposed to snow and wind was supposed to pick up and everything. So we got out there and got me going as quickly as we could. So were you nervous? Right. I think I, I think my. <laughs> um, I I don't I don't think I was until my instructor got out, and then as soon as he got out, I was like, "Oh crap! I really got to do this." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it it wasn't. I mean, it was just like everybody always says. You know, you'll never forget your your first solo. And, you know, I can I can describe it to this day. Every every single ounce of it. You know, so wow, it's it's definitely something you'll remember. Yeah, but, that's mm-hmm. you know that's pretty yeah. cool because if you kind of compare it to driving, you know, mm-hmm. you were so young and yet. Here you are flying an airplane all by yourself, all, all by yourself. You know that's yeah. pretty cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, before I could drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, even before you could drive, huh? That's cool. Yeah, I didn't get my driver's license until like a month later. Um, I think it was in, in Indiana. <laughs> you could get your learner's permit when you're uh, like 15, and then uh, you get your your uh, driver's license. It's like a a year and a month later or something like that. Oh wow. So yeah, I didn't get it for like a few more weeks. So. Yeah, I got to fly an airplane by myself before I could drive a car by myself. <laughs> that is That's awesome. That's cool. I'm, sh- I- I'm sure that worked in getting some dates there in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, ladies. <laughs> I got my pilot's license. Well, you want to go on a date? Well, I can't drive yet. Have your mom drop you off at the airport, and then we'll go fly somewhere. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, that's, so, when you when your instructor got out of the plane, uh, oh, first off, uh-huh. what kind of a plane was it again? It was a Cessna one hundred and fifty. Okay, so cool. Nineteen seventy six Cessna one hundred and fifty. So Damn. it was uh, it was about three years older than I was. So and, <laughs> when I, uh, and as uh, and as Cessnas go, that was relatively new. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what did your uh, what did your instructor say? What were his last words when he got out of the airplane? Yeah, he said, "I'll be right here when you get back." Okay, <laughs> okay. that's encouraging. Confident. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was wondering if he told you good luck because there's a couple of different ways he could say good luck. I'll see you when you're on the ground, or he could tap you on the shoulder and say <laughs> good luck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. one one definitely. So they, he wanted me to, you know, I do the one landing and then I'd come back and he wanted me to taxi back to him and you know talk to him or whatever. And I came back and I, I still remember to, to this day. I, I wasn't. I don't think I was nervous, but my my right knee was just like bouncing like crazy. I, I don't know if it was nerves or what. And he opened yeah. the door and asked me how everything was. He's like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> but I'm just gonna throw up. I'll be right back. But, yeah (laughs) yeah so that's so cool what how exhilarating that's so cool i Mm. i know that you know uh myself and ryan and i don't think tony's had any formal lessons but 
uh, we've neither one of us have ever soloed, but you know, we've been uh-huh. at the controls for, you mm-hmm. know, takeoffs and landings and a little bit of cross country work and radios. And it, it really is so much fun. And, and you, you do catch yourself, you know, like that little, maybe nervous, you know, knee fidget or whatever mm-hmm. as, as you're doing things. But it just, especially when you have the aviation blood, it just, it just kind of comes to you and you just it does, love yeah. every minute of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, continuing on, I mean, I I got another question. I'll just jump in here. I mean, we can (laughs) talk to you all, all evening. I, I, (laughs) this is great. So, um, from, from that point, did you have a vision of wanting to pursue a career in aviation? Obviously, because you were just, Mm -hmm. you know, you you loved it. Where did that go? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to to fly, like I said, and, you know, growing up around the military, I just always knew that I wanted to, to do military flying, whether mm-hmm. it was, you know, active duty or guard or reserves. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know anything other than active duty and reserves because that's, you know, my dad was in the reserves. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, so I, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe do the reserves or something like that and then maybe an airline career or something like that. Um but, uh, you know, I wasn't real sure. And so I went off to college after I graduated high school and uh, went to Purdue and did all my ratings and uh, stuff there and uh, graduated. And I was, I was talking. I got hired with Chautauqua Airlines, which is now Republic Airways, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was supposed to go, go fly for them. And uh, then 9-11 happened. Mm. And uh, I was talking with a couple of guard units in in the state. Um, there was Fort Wayne, and uh, at the time, Terre Haute had some F-16s. So I was talking with those guys. And then uh, after 9-11, um, the airlines didn't really know what was going on, so they told me to, you know, I could either stay and wait it out, but they didn't know when they would call me back, uh, or, you know, they could just cut ties and, you know, I'd be on my way. So that's kind of what I did, and... Uh, I just went active duty at that point. Mm. So I figured that's that's probably the oh, easiest that's... thing to do. And uh, and that's what I did. I went active duty. So uh-huh. D- Does Purdue have like an aviation program that you studied in? They do. Yeah, they do. They're, yeah. they're one of the, I don't know, probably the top, in, in the top three or four or something like that of, of uh, colleges. Obviously, everybody's heard of Emory-Riddle. And then yeah. you've got yeah. University of North Dakota and then right. usually Purdue. And then there's... There's a few other colleges around, but those are those are probably the three big ones. I didn't know that about Purdue. Of. Yeah, I didn't yeah, either. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um now in, in some of our previous conversation, quote unquote, um, <laughs> there was some pretty unique uh I guess training that you did at Purdue and why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So Purdue's Purdue's known as a as an engineering school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anything from, you know, chemical engineering to aerospace engineering to mechanical engineering, it's all kinds of stuff. And, and uh, so everybody always asks me when I tell them when I went to Purdue, they said, you, you know, did you get an engineering degree? And I, I tell them, well, kind of. I got a flight engineer certificate. Out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, our, our, junior year, our junior and senior year in, at Purdue at the time, they, we were the last class. My class was the last ones to go through this program. But. They offered a. Uh, we were flying 727s and uh, simulators, and yeah. we had an actual 727 on the on the field, and uh, wow. that we could go out and do pre-flights on and run up and stuff like that. But um, 
the, our junior year they they put us in the 727-100, and in our senior year they put us in the in the 200. And okay. basically, we rotate through all the all three of the pro, you know, all three of the seats. So we're flight engineer one day, and then we'll swap, and then the next thing we'll first officer, and then captain, and stuff like that. And we just kind of move around, and that's kind of their professional pilot path, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it just kind of gives you some experience of flying big, large aircraft. And mm-hmm. uh, our uh, the summer, or I guess it was my senior year, the summer session after my senior year, they gave us the elective that you could stay after and finish up your flight engineer so you take another class or whatever and do your written and then they we had a uh, uh, flight engineer from ata at the time ata was based out of indianapolis and they would come up and use our sims so we would use their examiners and stuff like that yeah (laughs) and so we uh we stayed after or i stayed after there was i think it was probably about five of us from our class and we stayed after and actually did our flight engineer so probably one of the the youngest guys with a flight engineer certificate <laughs> that, <laughs> that I actually used. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. I, gosh, I remember those old ATA 727s even. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. it, it was fun. I, it was kind of neat seeing it from, from that side of it, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. um, sitting sideways on an airliner and learning all the systems and being the, the systems, you know, expert at that, you know, when you're the flight engineer. So, um, I, I don't know if it'll ever help me later on, you know, flying other airplanes, but I mean, the systems wise, you know, hydraulics and uh, the electrical system and, and stuff like that, it's it's all pretty similar between all the, the larger mm-hmm. aircraft. So it's, it's definitely, it was definitely a fun rating to get. Well, if you, you know, in the future, if you decide you want to fly for an airline like in the Congo or Nicaragua or something, I'm sure they still have some 727s around. I'm sure I could find a spot. That's right. Hey, well, that, that knowledge can't hurt you. I mean, oh, more, no. yeah. you know, so, um, so Dan, you mentioned that Purdue was one of the top uh, aviation schools, you know, in the country. And so I was a flight dispatcher and I went to Sheffield School of Aeronautics, I guess, which I'm not even sure if they're still around, but it was like one of the top uh, flight dispatcher schools. They would send uh, uh, prospective dispatchers all from all over the world. Uh, anyway, when I went through, I went through one of the very last, if not the last, uh, classes where they taught systems and you got your certificate while studying the 727. So cool. A little soft spot <laughs> for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that is cool. Was that, was that school around a pumpkin patch, brother? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that. <laughs> Maybe yes. it, maybe it <laughs> was. You know that that, that is patch. cool, and I, I wanted to jump in to mention too. So <laughs> th- there's a lot of younger, you know, av geeks that listen to the podcast too, and they probably don't even know or realize that back in the day, airliners the, the cockpits were designed with three crew members. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the captain, the first officer, and then flight engineer, and uh, the flight engineer basically did what Taz, just so everybody that doesn't understand can yeah, learn. Yeah, so I mean, we we were in charge of you know managing the electrical loads, you know, making sure that everything was powered correctly, uh, watching the hydraulics, pressurization, um, and then probably the biggest one is the fuel management. You know, nowadays everything's computerized. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, you would have to manually, you know, 
transfer fuel from one tank to the other and make sure that you're staying within the center of gravity limits of the aircraft. Oh, wow. So that was, that was probably the one of the biggest thing, you know, um, just watching the systems and managing them. Um, so, yeah, yeah and that, from, that's, you know, nowadays it's all been taken over by, by computers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And from what I remember in my fueling days, the 727 was kind of a, a bitch when it came to uh, transferring <laughs> fuel and man, because oh, yeah. when you fueled it, you you had to do it the right way, or that thing could go uh-huh. tail down, you yep. know, nose up on you. Yep. And and we did yep. our competitors <laughs> when I worked out at Salt Lake. They actually did that to a two seven. Come into work one morning, and I look <laughs> over there, and the the nose is like two stories high, and they oh, had oh fueled it incorrectly, and it tipped up so yeah it it can do that on a lot of big airplanes i got a i got a picture of a b1 sitting on its tail from oh uh, my god fueling mishap really yeah that was not a good day for the fueler <laughs> yeah, yeah no guess doubt. not you oh. never want to be in that position as the fueler that's for sure no yeah it's probably <laughs> yeah, a little imagine the in- inspections that would have to be done after that jeez well, and it's probably oh, yeah. a little bit different for a ramper who's getting paid eight bucks an hour. You know, all they have to do is they can just fire the kid and hire somebody else. In the Air Force, <laughs> it's a little bit different. You are uh, you're subject bit. to the UCMJ, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. I, yeah, I have no idea what happened to the guy, but... Uh... I'm sure. I'm sure he was not uh, not happy that night. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so let's go back to. Um, so you said you did the 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 school at Purdue and the 727s. Yep. When when exactly mm-hmm. and what route did you go when you ended up going through to um, the military active at the duty. Air Force active duty? So yeah, yeah. So at, at Purdue, they've got several different types of aviation classes you can be a mechanic they got mechanics and they've got airfield management and then pilot and stuff like that and the pilot route we do the seven back then we did the 727s and then we'd fly king air 200s and beach jet 400s is kind of what we do and uh, they've changed it up now they got a bunch of other stuff that they newer airplanes but uh, after i graduated purdue like i said 9-11 happened so it kind of changed what it the direction that I was thinking that I was going to go. And so I went active duty. And, uh, since I, mm-hmm. when I went to Purdue, I didn't do ROTC. So I was okay. just, I just came out with, with my bachelor's degree and I didn't have any, any background in military. And so, um, I applied, uh, as a pilot candidate and, uh, went to officer training school down in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, we, they call us 90 day wonders because we go there for for 90 days and we come out as an <laughs> officer where you know some of these guys go to the academy or ROTC for for four years and it takes them four years to learn what i'd learned in in three months so, wow <laughs> oh wow um, <laughs> but it's it's a very uh condensed course too so i mean everything is i mean you're eating breathing and, and sleeping everything air force whereas you know I guess you're kind of doing that at the academy too but not so much at ROTC you know you can have kind of a, a normal college Mm-hmm. lifestyle with ROTC but right yeah so I, I did that and after I graduated ROT, or uh, OTS um, they assigned me to Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma and uh, I showed up there and I think it was like was it May of uh, May of 2002 is when I showed up there 
mm-hmm. and uh, started started my class. I think I started in August is when when my class date started. So mm. I wasn't there too long, uh, a few months before they started me, and then uh, started my uh, started my flight training uh, in the Air Force. Uh, we started out in the T thirty sevens, the little little Tweety Birds. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, flying dog whistle. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, working the ramp for years. Wear your uh, ear protection. That's for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you started <laughs> you started flying the T thirty seven Advance in O two. You said uh-huh. I did. Yeah. Okay. So we um, it, this was this was August of two thousand two. Okay. Yeah. So we just um, missed each ju- other. I mean, actually, maybe have been July. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I said we just missed each other. So. I was a fueler for AAR in Oklahoma City, um, which oh, I'm yeah. sure you okay. spent uh, many uh, many afternoons there. Um, mm-hmm. We saw the we saw the tweets all the time, and I remember when we <laughs> when we were in the line shack and we we saw a T37 on the ramp. It's like we fought <laughs> over who didn't have to go out and stand there for 45 minutes. <laughs> Uh, oh my to uh, send you guys off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man, yeah. It, it was a fun plane to fly, but man, it's. Uh, I'm glad they got something better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's better. I mean, the T thirty seven was built like a tank. You could land oh, the yeah. gear up. They just prop it up, put the gear down, and it was good to go. The, the new T <laughs> sixes. It's more like a tinker toy. It's it's a little uh, a little not quite as forgiving, but yeah. It, the, the tweet definitely had some unique characteristics about it. Yeah, it was it was a fun plane though. So, but uh, yeah, so we uh, our class. Uh, I might be the first one to say this, but the last time we talked, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned that our, my my class. You know, we we all have patches and stuff like that. And we make our own patch, and uh-huh. um, we uh, we all were going to solo um, basically our first military jet on or right around uh, September 11th of 2002, so a year later um, after the, the World Trade Center. And mm. uh, so our patch has, has a couple, it's got a, it's basically a phoenix that's kind of rising up out of the ashes and it's got the, uh, the World Trade Center and the, um, the Pentagon on it as well. So, oh, wow. Um, that was kind of our, our homage to, uh, to you know, give, pay respects to, to everybody that lost their life a year prior, previous to that. Yeah. So, um, oh, that sounds so cool. Do you have a picture of that patch or something on your Instagram I, or anywhere? I'd love to uh, see that. I don't know. I don't know if it's on my Instagram, but I, I'll I'll bring you guys up a patch when I when I come up. And, oh, yeah, that'd definitely. Sweet. That'd be so cool. So, so you said but, you're uh, yeah. It's when you guys all mm-hmm. solo. Mm-hmm. What what aircraft did you solo in? The the T thirty seven. It was a T thirty seven. Oh, so you yeah. can mm-hmm. solo in that. Okay, so, I didn't know that. Yep. Yep, that's our that's our first uh, first Air Force airplane. At least for me, um, mm-hmm. that was the first Air Force airplane that I soloed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, um, you know, depending on how well you do in the T thirty sevens, depends on whether or not you go to the T one track or the T thirty eight track. And uh, back back then, um, the T thirty eight track was all fighters and bombers. So if you went to the T thirty eight, you're gonna be on the pointy edge of the spear and and Go kill people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you went to the T1, you're you're kind of on the the other side of the spear, and you're gonna, you know, help people kill each other. So uh, you know, being a tanker pilot or a, yeah. a cargo pilot or something like that. So yeah, um, the big heavies. 
So, and, nice. and the, you know, like I said, they put you in the, in the, the T one is basically a beach jet 400 and yeah. it's a corporate looking airplane. And so oh, it, it yeah. mimics the bigger aircraft fairly decently. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, so we, we always ask this to all of our air force. Well, any pilot really, uh, if you can, what, when did you get your call sign and what's your story behind it? <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> uh, usually we tell us over a beer, <laughs> right? But, uh, well, we'll owe you one. How's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I got mine. Usually you get it at your um, your first assignment, like your first actual pilot assignment after pilot training. Uh-huh. Um, in my case, um, I was I was a little unique. So I graduated pilot training in uh, May of two thousand three. And I was supposed to go fly the B1. And um, I also got married like right after that. And we came back from the honeymoon and I was getting ready to go to survival training. And I found out that uh, I had cancer. So, um, oh my gosh. That, yeah. So that, that kind of changed kind of my, my direction. So instead of going off to the B1, they, they kept me there. And I, obviously, I had to. Uh, uh, deal with all the cancer treatments and everything and make sure that, you know, I stay around, you know, cause I, oh, man. You know, I, I kind of need to live before I can fly. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Really? All, exactly. So I, I, uh, I basically went through a year's worth of a uh, couple surgeries and some chemo and stuff like that. And, um, it took the air force a little while, a couple years before they'd let me fly again. But uh, mm-hmm. while I was doing that, I was, I was in the 38 squadron and I was, I was basically the exec. Um, so, um, kind of doing all the, the little, I don't know, the little bitch work for the, uh, for the commander, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, um, all the other execs out there know exactly what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, it, it was good though. So, you know, the, the commander after working for him and everything, he's at, he asked me what I wanted to do, um, as far as flying. Cause they, it basically made me non-deployable for five years. Oh, so wow. I either had to take some kind of a stateside oh, wow. assignment or something like that, or you know, he gave me the option. He's like, "Hey, you could stay here and and be an instructor pilot." And I said, "Yeah, let's do that." So he gave me a T thirty eight and uh, let me stay there and fly T thirty eight. So I flew T thirty eight for for about five years um, before I went off to the B one. Um, and it's uh, it's called as somebody that comes right out of pilot training right into to an instructor role we call them a fape so a first assignment instructor pilot and uh so it wasn't a a tactical type thing you know where most people will come out of t-38s and they'll go fly their f-16s or f-15s yeah or like yeah that. and it's, it's a tactical platform i stayed and was an instructor and taught other future you know fighter and bomber pilots and so um that's kind of how i ended up staying at vance and then back to your original question how did i get my call sign? <laughs> 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 But, uh, so, um, I was a fape, you know, flying T-38s and stuff like that. And there was a bunch of us and uh, one of, one of my buddies was getting married. So we went up to, to Wichita to, you know, have a bachelor party or whatever. And they've got a little square. It's got, I don't know, I can't remember right now, but it was probably five or six different bars, uh, around in Wichita. And I remember the first two bars maybe. And then uh, <laughs> after after that, I, I don't really remember much of the starting scene where this is going. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> so they, they said though, no, and we got back to the uh, 
to the hotel room. They said I walked in my, my buddy's room and I just started throwing things around the room and, and uh, flipping over beds. And uh, somehow a couch got thrown out the third story window and ended up in the tree. Oh so so oh, they said it was like the Tasmanian devil was going around and like throwing everything around. So, so that's where Taz came from. So Taz, so, short for uh-huh. Tasmanian devil, crazy. That's so funny. <laughs> These call sign stories are literally my favorite. I have a thing tendency to break things. Podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, being a B one pilot, which we'll get to soon, that that kind of tied together pretty well. Oh, I'm definitely. sure. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um. So I, I wanted to jump in here, and uh, so it, it's really interesting that you, you um, after T-37s, and, and, then, and then you trained in T-38s, and then at that mm-hmm. point, that's when you were uh, selected uh, to fly the B-1, and then Correct. your cancer, unfortunately, hit, which, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I mean, congratulations for, you know, Gosh, I mean, going through all that and and the yeah. cancer treatment and right. I mean, what a scare! I'm I'm sure that would break a lot of it. Uh, it, it definitely freaked pilot, me out. You know, you know? jeez, yeah. yeah. Well, so I mean, I, I'm you know 18 years now cancer free, so I'm, yeah, I'm definitely That's proud awesome. of that. Yeah, um, but it, it 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 did. It scared you know scared the crap out of me. You know, um, my dad passed away when I was 13 of cancer, uh, oh, different kind, wow. but it was still cancer. Unfortunately, so yeah. I saw everything that. Yeah, I saw everything that he went through, and I was like, "Oh man, this is what I've I've got to live for, you know, got to live through now." Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for me, I caught it very early. You know, my mm-hmm. dad was, you know, putting it off and just kind of waited and waited until finally my mom basically had to drag him to the doctor, and you know, he fought it for, I think, four five years, something like that. Really? And, so yeah, it was it was a long time, but uh, um, but yeah, so that that definitely made me look at life a different in a different perspective. So uh-huh. Don't take yeah. Don't really take anything for granted, you know. I'm I'm happy to do any days above ground is a, is a good day for me. So like, <laughs> yeah. happy. Yeah. If, awesome. if I can be several thousand feet above ground, that's even better. So. <laughs> nice. Amen. Perfect. So, yeah, amen. I know, seriously. And and so that, that that's how you became a fape because uh-huh. uh, and and what's crazy is you said that you were basically a fape for about five years because you were non-deployable because Correct. they make yeah. sure that you were healed and the cancer wasn't going to yep. come back and so on. So, yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. why you, you're like you're like a super fape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot a lot of people ask me about that because back in the day they used to have these things called super fapes. Oh, when, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it it was basically guys that they would graduate pilot training and they didn't have a fighter for them. They didn't know mm-hmm. what they were, you know, they, they just, so they just let them stay and fly in T-38s and they called them super fapes. And it was basically, you know, two tours in a, in a T-38 or a T-37 or whatever. Wow. Yeah. And so, so I, I basically long, did that. How long is the, uh, how long is the normal tour for a fape or the assignment? Uh, about, about two and a half years, three okay. years. Uh, that's pretty typical for for most Air Force assignments is about two and a half to three years. Mm-hmm. You'll get your assignment, your next assignment at about the two and a half year point, and then uh, you'll probably end up moving a, a pretty close to the three year point. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little bit sooner, sometimes it's a little bit later, but that's generally speaking about about what the cycle is. That's for all airframes. So. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, um, Ryan, Tony, you guys. Have a question. I got another question about his fape days. Oh yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> go ahead. 
<laughs> super fake days, <laughs> yeah, super I guess. Fame. I super <laughs> yeah. um, so the, that many years training, uh, you know, quote unquote, future Air Force pilots. Um, uh-huh. What what was that? What was that like? I mean, obviously, it, it's a pretty dangerous <laughs> job, I would imagine. <laughs> Because, you know, I mean, a lot, yeah, seriously. Um, how was it for you through all those years? And, you know, I mean, I'm sure there were close calls. I'm sure there were mm-hmm. uh, students that just, it was, they were just natural at it. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any specific story that just, you know, pops in your head <laughs> that remind you of those years as the <laughs> so, super fave. So basically, Aaron, what, yeah. what you're asking is uh, how many times did somebody try to kill you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I've had a, I can think of five off the top of my head. But, oh, wow. Uh, wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I can still remember fave. the students and everything that were in it. <laughs> really? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and most, most of the students that, you know, it's funny. So, like, some of the students that, you know, almost killed me or almost ran me into the ground or whatever, you know, they're, they're still, you know, I still see them all the time. You know, being here at Nellis, everybody comes through for red flag and green flag. So, it's it's not uncommon to see somebody that I've taught or even some of the, the weapon school guys or the, we've got two commanders here that were prior students of mine. Oh, it's, that's It's just so kind cool. of crazy seeing those guys uh, walking oh, around yeah. what they're doing now. But, uh, yeah, so, I don't know, I, I guess a couple of stories, um, I had, we were doing a formation landing in T-38s, and I was on the wing, and uh, we were coming in, and we were right over the threshold, Lee had just basically touched his mains down, and we were just about to touch down, and for whatever reason, my students started to, to kind of bid in over towards lead, and so um, I told him to go around, and uh, when he went around he hit the afterburner as soon as he hit the afterburner our left engine exploded oh and uh got the got the firelight and uh everything else and uh student had no idea I, you know i took the plane and we're climbing away and you know leads on the runway he's you know stopping we're on on you know taking off again we're just going to go on around and uh, he's calling me you know hey your your left engine's on fire and you know, all this kind of stuff and um usually if you if you shut down an engine uh, in, in the T-38, there's no fire suppression. So, you know, like a lot of your bigger airliners, they've got, you know, a fire suppression system that you push and hopefully it will take the fire out. Right. In the T-38, you just shut the engine off. That, that's all you do. You just shut the fuel to the engine off and shut the engine down. And hopefully the fire goes out. If the fire doesn't go out, you eject. And oh, so, wow. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to go around the pattern. And usually on a single engine in a T-38, you try to do a straight in and, for whatever reason, I decided I was going to pull close and just do a, like a closed pattern. So I'm trailing smoke and turning into the downwind with an engine on fire. Once I get on downwind, then I shut it off. And luckily, the fire went out and not a, not a big deal. But then I just, instead of doing a straight in or a normal overhead, I kind of did a modified extended, I guess, downwind to base final type thing and, and landed. And, you know, everything ended up being fine with that, but uh, we got we got back and the, the whole side of the the engine was was shredded. I guess one of the compressor blades exploded and it, it uh, splintered the side of the airplane and even sprayed some. Of, they found little parts of uh, of our of our engine on the on Leeds airplane. So when it exploded, it exploded right over the top of them. Oh wow! Oh my so, gosh! 
Yeah. So that that was an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. yeah wow. Nail biter. <laughs> but have have you had a moment wow. like when you're flying with a student and your hand is wow. just like hovering over that ejection handle? <laughs> uh, there, there's there's been I don't know if it was hovering over the ejection handle, but I was getting really I I don't. I'm not one of the, these instructors that likes to have, be, have my hands on the controls all the time. I let the students make mistakes, and if I need to fix them, then, then I do the pilot thing and, and fix it. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, there, there's been times where you know, I'm really, really close to the stick and ready to, to yeah. grab the controls because I'm, I'm like, this student has no clue what's going on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, especially in formation. Formation things can get away from you really quick, especially when you're you know, doing between 400 and 300 knots, you know, three feet away from the other airplane. Mm-hmm. So wow. it's, uh, but yeah. Jeez. That, that's great. Now they, the air force doesn't train like formation landings and takeoffs anymore. Right. They, I think they do the takeoffs. They don't, as of the beginning of this year or something like that, they stopped doing the, the formation landings. Oh, really? And, yeah. And that, that actually came from a crash from Vance from two T-38s at Vance where they, they collided and, uh, I believe I know two of the two of the pilots died, and I can't remember. I think the other airplane was was okay, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the other and one that, they, they clipped yeah. their wings and they rolled inverted. Ah, that's so, so. Yeah, that just happened yeah. within the last few years, right? If I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was about a year ago. Uh huh. So, jeez, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. So Ooh. getting rid of the <laughs> formation landings was a direct result of that accident. Yeah, yeah, okay. that that's what they're pretty much that was the last time. Now I think that was the when you know when they're looking at it, they're like, Well, we don't really do formation landings anymore. And if you come out and watch people at Nellis, even even the Thunderbirds don't do formation landings. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least not very often, you know, and it's it's not something that we train to I mean, back in the day in UPT we do, but other than that you never do. Formation mm-hmm. takeoffs is one thing. Yeah. But landings is it's not really it's not really needed. You know, if the weather's that bad, you're gonna do like a radar trail or something like that and and uh, come in one at a time. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. I mean, why mm-hmm. not? They're fun. I mean, I enjoyed doing them, but it's, yeah. uh, it, it might be a risk that we don't necessarily need to take. Yeah. We don't yeah. really need to do it. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, wow. Would there, yeah, that's, that's, that's so interesting. Would there ever be a real-world <clears throat> situation where a formation landing would be needed? I mean, I, I mean, I suppose there could be. Um, uh-huh. Realistically, I mean, most of them, you'll do a chase ship, you know, and you might have a chase ship chasing you down on final, mm-hmm. you know, and watching you land, and then they're going to go around um, mm-hmm. for most emergencies. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what would cause, I don't know, maybe some of the newer fighters might have something where their avionics go completely out or something like that, and they would need to be on the wing of somebody else. But, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know, you know, uh, I can't, you know, like I said, off the top of my head, I can't really think of uh, mm-hmm. a really good reason why they'd need to. And, and that, that might be, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why they're not doing it anymore, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, geez. The questions just keep popping in my head, Ryan and Tony. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> hey, well, I, <laughs> we've asked some, but if you want to ask, go ahead. That's what we're here for. We don't have I just to. Feel like I, we don't I, have to be I feel like, like all I keep equal in our line, you know, I, <laughs> I want to hear all the all these stories. Um, so okay, so you're done with 
I guess your your faith assignment. And um, um, did you always know that you were going to be given that B one slot again? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. And, okay. Uh, um, so th- th- they kept it for me. So it was it was kind of one of those things that they're like, well, you're you're already kind of kind of coded as a B one guy, not really, but uh, you know, they're like, you're kind of already going to go that direction. And I was like, uh-huh. That's that's perfectly fine. I, you know, my whole thing was uh, when I joined the Air Force. You know, people asked me what I wanted to fly. I said I don't care as long as I can fly upside down and blow shit up. So <laughs> that's that's what I did. So oh hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, so that's, I, I got to do both, and and you can roll in. You know, B one goes inverted too, so it's uh, it's it's kind of a, it's a neat airplane. So I would love to yeah, see I, that. Yeah. Oh man, I I I, I saw a B one. Uh, go inverted down at Davis Monthan Air Force Base years ago at an air show. Um, uh-huh. It was it, it did a high speed pass and then just pulled up and I don't know there was a ceiling maybe I don't know ten thousand feet fifteen thousand feet and I mean he just he he pulled up he wasn't vertical but man he pulled up and he rolled and disappeared in those <laughs> clouds and I was like I was blown away I was. One of the most badass things I've ever seen, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> definitely fun. It's uh, there's not too many planes that size that could they can roll inverted. You know, it's just no, like, yeah. Uh, it's it's I mean it's it's an actual tactic that we we use. You know, not really not for you know oh, for wow. air shows. Yeah, we, um, I guess I should say we we used to have we used to do low levels in the B one, and as of this year, they stopped doing low levels in the B one too. So. <laughs> all the fun stuff I get to I get used to get to do in all my airplanes that they're not doing anything. But, <laughs> yeah. um, what the hell? Yeah, so the B one has a yeah the, the B one has a problem with its the the backbone and it's getting stress fractures and stuff like that. So they're like, we don't really need to do low levels anymore and overstress the airplane. So they're like, yeah, we'll just take it out of the syllabus. So yeah, um, I, th- I think the weapon school still does it, and I think the the test guys still do low levels in them. But other than that, just the normal squadrons, they don't. They don't necessarily do them anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it's so cool. The B one's um, always been one of my favorite. I mean, and just to get to talk to someone that you know actually was a pilot for one is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, what, I know. <laughs> I mean, what was it like for you? I mean, you had you'd been a pilot for years at this point, just because uh-huh. of all your you know experience, your first flight at eleven, and yeah. and all that. But what? Can you really explain what it was like the first time you got to actually take the controls and just be fully in control of the B one? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because it. It to me the the muscle memory from the T thirty eight, the way the stick works, um, and the way the throttles work, the throttle positioning and stuff like that. It was very similar to to the T thirty eight. Just a little in different that aspect, wingspan. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just really big T thirty eight, like really big. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you get the wings pinned back. You know, they you know takeoff is usually like fifteen twenty degrees wing sweep, and then when you're down low, the wings pin all the way back sixty seven and a half degrees. <sighs> and you know, when it gets down low and you're doing maneuvers and you get the wings back, it it flies a lot like a T thirty eight. I mean, you can you can actually roll the airplane. You can't pull as many G's, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it uh, it. it it did. It felt like a big T thirty eight. So wow, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, how and many? That, uh, yeah, it was crew members are on a like a mission in the B one. 
Uh, it's, there's four of us. So four? there's okay. there's two pilots. We have what's called an aircraft commander, which is kind of like the captain. Then you have the the pilot, um, and then we have an offensive systems operator that sits on the right side in the back, and then we have a defensive systems operator that sits in the the left side on the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, the offensive guy, the OSO. He basically navigates the airplane and selects the weapons and does all the targeting, um, while the DSO, he basically defends the airplane. So it's got a lot of uh, electronic jamming and, and things like that that, uh, that he does. So he can pick out you know, radar sites and stuff like that and jam them so we don't get shot down. And uh, if, oh, there's, okay. uh, if we're being you know, intercepted by fighters or something like that, he can jam the radars and, and, and mm. stuff. So. So, cool. um, so did those guys yeah, ever so get pissed at you for rolling the airplane and not letting them know you were going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, so, so yeah, I, I always like to tell the story that you know we we had one uh, we had one Wizzo that every time we'd be coming back from uh, Afghanistan, he would he would do he want us to go supersonic and then he would stand in the aisle and do a handstand. He's like, then I'm the only person that's gone supersonic doing a handstand. Like, probably right. <laughs> but, but every once in a while, he'd get right up on the on his hands and we'd like take the plane and like shake it back and forth, or whatever, make him fall over. But um, <laughs> that's awesome. But, so, uh, so, was it easy we, easy to go supersonic in the B1? Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it's it's got a lot of thrust. You know, it's got, it's basically like flying a four ship of F16s all the mm. time it's you know mm-hmm. gf 101 engines you know thirty thousand pounds of thrust and uh, wow. it, it's 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 pretty good you know it'll, it'll get up and move pretty quick so um, and it, we could you could play stay supersonic for quite a while um we'd be an afterburner you know we we would do uh, maneuvers defensive maneuvers and stuff like that and we would just you know, if we were being intercepted by a fighter our big tactic is to you know turn around basically away from the fighter and go supersonic and just keep it in burner until the, the fighters run out of gas. And then we turn back around and go bomb the targets. You know? So, you know, you know, an F-16 can go, you know, supersonic for a short amount of time. And he, before he runs out of gas, we can go supersonic for like an hour and a half and you know, he's, he's probably not going to catch us. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. but, uh, so you mentioned, but, uh, uh, yeah, you mentioned Afghanistan. And so my uh-huh. next question is, is did you get to blow shit up? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yes, my, we want to hear that. Uh, my first, uh, my first mission in, in Afghanistan, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. You know, it's just like, okay, they're going to give us like, you know, a little cake walk over from my first mission. Nope. It wasn't. Uh, we, we basically, we take off out of IUD or an undisclosed location in Southeast Asia, <laughs> and, uh, you know, fly up through Pakistan and into Afghanistan, and uh, we hit a tanker as soon as we get off the boulevard, um, and b- the boulevard is basically a, a flight path for, for traffic coming in and out of Afghanistan through oh, okay, Pakistan, okay. so we got a, okay. you know, uh, it's like a highway, you know, you got two lanes coming out of Afghanistan, two lanes going in Afghanistan, you got a high-speed lane, and then you got slow-speed lane and stuff like that, so we call it the boulevard, and uh, so we got off the we got off the boulevard, hit our tanker, and we're en route to our first um, our first tasking, which is like going to be like a convoy support or something like that. We just fly over them and just make sure nobody's getting going to ambush them or anything like that. And uh, um, we got a call uh, for um, there was we call them a tick, a troops in contact, um, which was up in the northwest side of Afghanistan, and. Uh, 
most of the fighters can't really make it up that far because it's it's pretty far away from most of the fighter bases. You know, they could be drugged up there by tankers, and sometimes they you could get them up there, maybe a strike eagle or something like that. It's got a little bit more gas. <laughs> um, but uh, usually, like your A10s and F16s, they they're probably not going to go all that that way up, all that that far up there. Um, but we get up there, and uh, it's a, a Marine Special Forces unit that was embedded with uh, some Afghanis. And they were taking uh, fire from, from some Taliban. And, uh, and basically, one of the guys, one of the Marine guys got injured. He got shot, and uh, all the Afghani guys ran away, and they, they hid. And so there was just the Marines that were set, you know, left there and trying to defend themselves. And they couldn't really tell where the fire was coming from. And like I said, the one Marine got shot, and they were trying to get a medevac in there. And the helicopter couldn't come in because it was, they were getting shot. So they called us in and we, we came in and, and uh, they started calling, giving us grids and we started dropping weapons. And uh, finally, the, uh, the helicopter was able to get in and, and get the guy. But uh, we, were, we were basically dropping almost everything we had. Um, we started out with 500-pound uh, uh, bombs, uh, GBU-38s, and we're, we're chucking those at targets. Initially, they just wanted us to throw the bombs at where they thought they were just to, you know, kind of break contact so they could stop shooting and hopefully get the, the medevac in. They didn't care if we killed them. They just wanted them to stop shooting at them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we started doing that and, uh, because we didn't know where they were. We knew where the good guys were. We weren't real sure where the bad guys were. We had a pretty good idea. You could see some muzzle flashes every once in a while. Um, but this started out during the daytime and, uh, by the time it was all over, it was nighttime. <laughs> but, oh, uh, wow. So it, it was a long firefight, but, uh, you know, we're, we're dropping weapons and, you know, pretty soon we're having to go hit the tanker. And I just remember we're in contact with the tanker. So we're, um, we, we actually called the tanker and told them to come to us because we were dropping weapons so much. The, the tanker track where, where the tanker was waiting for us was, I don't know, probably a couple hundred miles away from where we were at. And so they came to us and we're basically flying over the firefight. Um, while I'm taking taking gas from the tanker, and the, the uh, OSO in the back, he's got the sniper pod and he's looking for targets and he's getting nine lines and and ready to prosecute the target. And so as soon as we got got done getting our gas, we dropped off the boom and we're inbound on a on a bomb run. Wow! And, you know, we we did that two times, so we hit the tanker three times that night. Um, usually, you just hit the tanker twice. At least back then, that's that's what we were doing. We were just hitting it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you really need the gas for whatever reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were, we were there. I think it was, I don't know, it was probably close to eight or nine hours just fighting with those guys. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, and like I said, it was, it started out during the daytime where we could see, you know, see stuff and then it started getting dark out. And, uh, and then, you know, we're on MVGs and we're seeing the muzzle flashes and stuff like that. And we're, almost out of 500 pounders so we start chucking uh, gb31s which are 2000 pound bombs at them. <laughs> you know, yeah crowd pleasers and, <laughs> yeah crowd pleasers yeah. <laughs> and uh you know and, and finally they were able to get back to to their fob um their their forward out you know their forward base and uh the guy got you know i think it was probably a couple weeks later we actually the marine guy that they got medevaced out he came and and wanted to thank us for for basically saving his life. So it was, it was kind of cool. We got to, got to meet him and went out and took some pictures by the airplane and, and stuff like that. But, uh, that was, that was my introduction to, to combat. And I was like, man, this is going to be 
one hell of a of a <laughs> six month tour here. Oh yeah, nice. impressive. This is what it's like the whole time. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty entertaining. I, I mean, it, it was it was constant. You know, it, yeah. by the time we were done, we got back at the end of the day, and you know, all of all four of us were just spent. You know, we were it was you know, we're doing the jobs. So we don't really think about everything else that's going on. We're just in the moment and yeah, and kind of reacting and doing doing what we were trained to do. And, Did you? Uh, you know, by the time we get back, and then we're we're reflecting on everything that's going on, and it's just wow, that was, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's it's an awesome story. <laughs> I love hearing combat stories. Um, did you have any help up there, or was it? Did you guys just provide all the support from from above? It was just us. Well, I mean, it was it was so uh, we uh, there was another B one on station, and we ripped them. Uh, rip means relieve in place. So we we basically went up and took over for for them. They were up there trying to um, find the, the Marine guy and, and try to help suppress some of the fire while the helicopters were coming in. But they were out of they were out of gas, so we ended up going up there and taking over from them. But oh, okay. the, the whole time we were up there, it was it was us and the tanker. You know, and wow. I guess we ended up with two tankers, like I said, so two different tankers. Um, That's that was pretty it. impressive. You know, the guys on the ground, they had their fifty cows and stuff like that, and you know, um, all their other the stuff the cool guns and stuff that the marines have but yeah um, yeah that, that was really it that's just that, so cool one, so one b1 provides all uh, that support that's that's pretty impressive that you know just yeah, one aircraft yeah. in the in the u.s arsenal was up there supporting all that <laughs> that's so awesome yeah 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 and that's that's what's so great about the b1 and what you know why i love hearing stories like that and reading about it is i mean there really isn't anything else like it that has the mm. loiter time, the 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 yeah. speed, the payload. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the it's gas. almost like, yeah. I mean, it every, everything about the B one's crazy, and that's that's probably why. I mean, as a matter of fact, I know it's why that some of the structural issues are kind of happening yeah. right now because it's being used so heavily because it's such yeah. it's an way impressive and important asset. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's God. supposed to stay yeah. around too for, for several more years. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's, seeing, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And, and just recently the, uh, uh, red flag 20 dash one and 20 dash three, there were B ones there. Uh, uh, one group was from Ellsworth. The other was from dice. And mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we saw them do a simultaneous takeoff on both runways. I mean, we saw them, and I mean, and when when they launch, I mean, they are in burner for like as far as you can see. It oh is yeah, the yeah. most badass thing. B ones, man. I mean, yeah. God, we could talk B ones all night. I love, <laughs> I love hearing this from you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it was definitely fun. You know, I, I enjoyed my time there, and uh, you know, still got a ton of friends. You know, some of my best friends. Or you know that I met through the B one, so it, it's it's definitely one of the highlights of my career, for sure. And how long yeah. did you fly the B one for, Taz? Um, I was so I did my standard tour there. So I did training at in Abilene, and uh, at Dias Air Force Base, and then I was there for I was at Dias for about eight months, and then I went to Ellsworth. Um, I was in the thirty seventh, the Tigers up there, and uh, nice. Uh, as, soon, as soon as I got up there. It's kind of unfortunate timing for me. I, I got there right as my squadron was leaving. Like, uh, so they, they deployed, and I hadn't gone through any of the uh, uh, the mission qualification training, the MQT training. So they, 
they kind of left me and about well, probably about 10 other guys behind and mm-hmm. uh, we basically ran the, the squadron from from back back home and uh, so we, we didn't I didn't get to deploy until the next time we went which is about a, about a year and a half later mm-hmm. so um, there's there's three b1 squadrons operational squadrons um, there's 37th at Ellsworth and then you got the 34th uh, up at Ellsworth as well the Thunderbirds um, the ones that don't do loops to music now i'm probably gonna get i'm gonna probably get attacked by yeah that, no doubt they all that's hilarious go after you. <laughs> yeah. especially but, uh, with your it's like four f-16s you know it's like flying four yeah. f-16s that's fighting words yeah. right there <laughs> i'm sitting way closer to my pilots than uh, the rest of them <laughs> but, uh, uh, and then, the, then you got the ninth bomb squadron down at, at uh, Dias, and uh, so we would basically do a six month rotation. So about every year and a half, you would, you know, you would deploy. It's kind of what the the B ones were doing for a while. So, um, but yeah, so I, I got up to and was with the Tigers, and they left. So I ended up flying a lot with the with the the T birds up there at the thirty fourth, and uh, until my squadron came back, and then we we deployed about a year after they got back. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's about when I what was that 2011 I think it was. Mm-hmm, so, but uh, yeah, so a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as far as um, mi- you know, other missions and, and training in the B one, uh, was there mm-hmm. other than the story that that you just told us? Um, was there mm-hmm. a specific moment when you were? flying the B1 that you'll just never forget that you were impressed with something. Um, yeah. I, so, I mean, g- give us some, I, give us a story. Yeah. Like that. So, so the other story, so I always tell everybody the you know, my first combat story or my first combat mission where, you know, I'm basically blowing, blowing the crap out of, you know, Northwestern part of Afghanistan. And then, uh, the other story I like to talk about is, um, where I didn't, you know, it was a mission where I didn't drop a single weapon, and uh, mm-hmm. basically we were we were doing a uh, um, support for some guys on the ground, and they'd been going for like three or four days straight. So they hadn't slept, you know, maybe like twenty minutes here and there, but they were just humping it through the through the mountains of you know eastern Afghanistan for three or four days, and uh, it was nighttime, and you know we showed up on station, and uh, you know the the JTAC, the uh, the guy that was on the ground talking to us. He basically said, "Hey, can you guys just like orbit around and just make like a shit ton of of noise so that it scares <laughs> anybody away?" And we're like, "Yeah, we can do that." So we're we're sitting there and we're orbiting for like three or four hours, you know, and you know, tapping the burner every once in a while just to make all kinds of noise. You know, every <laughs> once in a while we 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 you know call them on the radio see if they're still there and everything. And you know, I, after about four hours. And they call back, you know, like, hey, man, that was that was great. We appreciate that. We really needed some sleep, you know. And uh, to me, that was that was a way that I could help the guys on the ground. That that really it, it meant a lot to them, you know. And not, it, not even doing anything tactical, just you know, making a ton of noise and yeah. uh, letting some guys get some sleep. So that that was one of the other missions that, you know, that I always remember um, from from Afghanistan. So. Oh. Right. N- nothing like the sound of freedom to uh, put That's a soldier right. to sleep, huh? And let him, <laughs> let him right. relax a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, awesome. That's so. a cool story. I, I I didn't even know or realize that uh, you know 
even just utilizing the B1 like that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that, I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm blown away. These, I love these stories. <laughs> yeah. But we also do these things called shows of force where basically um, you do like a low-level approach over, you know, it, it, let's say there's uh, troops in contact and they're too close. You can't drop weapons on them. And you're trying to, you know, get these guys from stopping shooting at, at the good guys. And so what we'll do is we basically fly over their location supersonic, you know, as as fast and as loud as we possibly can and basically just sonic boom the crap out of them. And a lot of times, and and yeah, and from a B1, that's a big noise. Yeah, Um, that's quite uh, a sonic boom. Yeah, and and a lot of times that would be enough to, to break contact so our guys could fall back a little bit and then we could, you know, pop up and then, you know, drop some weapons on the, on the guys. But, uh, um, yeah, so that, that's another way. You know, it was a non-kinetic way of, of using, you know, the B one for for some kind of a combat mission. So it was there's all kinds of different things you can you can use it for. But mm-hmm. yeah, so. wow. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we could hear these um, stories all night. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, like, yeah. Um, what uh, what are you up to now? What do you do now? What uh, what's going on? Besides well, being the uh, well, CFI of the year, that's right. That's a rough <laughs> title to have. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, after after I got back from uh, from the B one, we got you know came back from my deployment, and uh, they needed they needed somebody to come out to to Creech to fly MQ nines, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to go back and fly T thirty eights again because I, I really like instructing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something I've, I've been a civilian instructor for 22 years now, and mm. I just never stopped. And, you know, mm. being a military instructor was fun, and I kind of wanted to go back and do that again. And so I told the commander, hey, I, I want to go back and fly T-38s again. He's like, okay. Well, we get back, and he re- he's like, oh, well, Taz wants to leave the, the B-1, so let's send him to Creech. <laughs> so um, it, it was... <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> exactly know. what I wanted, but yeah, but, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it actually came down. There was like four of us, and uh, that was prime for for the move. You know, like I said, you're usually on station for about two and a half, three years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And uh, so there was there was three other guys that were prime for it. One guy was about ready to. I mean, he basically had enough time in that if they gave him gave that to him, he said that he would just retire. He would just get out. Uh-huh. And so they didn't want to do that because then it would have to come to one of the other three of us. Uh, one of the other guys uh, had just made instructor pilot, and they wanted to keep him around and, and use him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of the other guys that actually went through pilot training, or not pilot training, through B1 training with me, he was a prior C-130 nav. And so they're like, well, let's give him another tour in the B1 before we send him someplace else. Mm-hmm. And so... So that left me, and I was like, "Oh, that's fine, whatever. I'll go do something else." So, you know, I I like Vegas. You know, Vegas is cool. I've always wanted to go to the Southwest, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I came out here and I, I flew uh, up at Creech for about five years, and uh, oh, five and years! Then, Didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, so so I was up I was up at Creech for about five years. Um, I, I guess technically it was about four years, four four uh-huh. and a half years, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, I was also instructing at North Las Vegas Airport and doing helicopter tours and stuff like that on, on the weekends and, and uh, my free time and stuff. And so I went one day I went into to the, the FAA medical doctor mm-hmm. and to get to just update my medical and uh, you know they make you pee in a cup and all that kind of stuff and 
um, he comes back, you know, he's, he's like, well, I'm going to have to have you come back tomorrow and uh, pee in the cup again. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're, uh, you're spilling some sugars in your urine and uh, you might be diabetic. And I'm like, well, oh. that sucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Wow. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I, you know, I go back home and I'm kind of trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do now if, I, if, if I'm diabetic? Because I knew what that meant on the FA side and I yes. knew what it meant on the military side. Right. Yeah. And so um, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And the next day I went back in. He's like, yeah, you're still spilling sugars. You're actually spilling more than you had the day before. You need to go see your flight doc. Okay. So um, went to see the flight doc and they did a blood test on me. And uh, he's like, okay, well, we'll let you know when, it, when, uh, when we get the results. And uh, so I was out to dinner with, with uh, a B1 friend of mine and uh, his wife and, and, and my wife at the time. And uh, I, get, I started getting phone calls from, you know, leadership in my squadron. They're like, hey, the flight doc's going to call you. I'm like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. So finally he calls me and he's like, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're, uh, you're diabetic and your blood sugar is in- insanely high. Oh. I'm like, okay. So um, went to the went to the ER and they did all that kind of stuff and uh, they did the, the tests and like, okay, you're gonna come back tomorrow and talk to the endocrinologist and they started me on all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, that was uh, uh, November 25th of 2015, so almost five years ago. Wow, um, yeah, that, that that happened and uh, yeah, that's when they they told me, yep, you're you're type one diabetic and. Uh, yeah, we're we're not exactly and, sure what that means for your Air Force career, but <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that's it, it's really interesting that happened to you because I mean, I can completely sympathize. When I was nineteen, I was mm-hmm. diagnosed with uh, type one diabetes, and mm-hmm. literally just out of the blue. As a matter of fact, I was living in uh, Aurora, Colorado, with Tony. Yes, you were. Um, mm-hmm. I had just moved out there to work out at Denver International Airport on the ramp. And uh, all this weird shit was going on, and I just it, it just nothing felt right, and so yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of the same thing. Went to the emergency room, got checked out. Yep, full blown diabetic, and it was like wow, I just couldn't believe it. And and I knew right away at 19 years old that any of my flying career that I yeah. had been, you know, looking at, you know, whether it be Air Force or civilian was just, it was done. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it, it's, it's a rough one when you get that news, that's for sure. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, and it, was, it was one of those things, being an instructor for, you know, as long as I, as I have been. Yeah. I kind of, I already knew, you know, and I remember when I was down at Vance, you know, we went down to, the, to Oklahoma once to, to an air show. And there was an air show pilot down there that was diabetic, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember him doing his routine and, and checking himself, you know, mid routine. That was one of the things you know, he was like, I'm, you know, this is part of the show, you know, that <laughs> he'd be inverted, you know, checking his blood sugar, you know, yeah. and, and I was like, so, you know, I kind of knew that. And I was like, well, if he can do it, I'm sure there's, you know, there's some, there's some way I can still fly. And I, I knew that I could get a special issuance third class uh-huh. and stuff like that. And, you know, with the third class, I can still instruct. And uh, and things like that. I can still fly privately, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, still have you know, still have aviation in my life, which mm-hmm. which is definitely you know worth it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I got diagnosed, and then I had to go tell my commander. And uh, I remember walking down the hall, and I see him at one end of the hall, 
and he sees me and he's like, Taz, come here. I got something to tell you. Like, I got to talk to you too, boss. <laughs> and we walk into his office and uh, he said, you know, he sits down. He's got this big grin on his face. I'm like, oh, crap. And uh, he's like, all right, you, you go ahead and tell me what, what, what do you want to talk about. <laughs> oh, and I'm no. like, well, <laughs> well, boss, I'm, uh, I'm diabetic and I can't fly anymore. And he had this paper that was upside down on his desk and he kind of slid it to the side. He's like, well, I don't have any good news for you anymore. Oh, oh no. It's like, that was your T-38 to Randolph to go be a pit instructor. Oh. I was like, damn it. Oh, <laughs> damn. So, yeah, so that was like a knife, you know, just twisting a little bit deeper. But I was like, uh, oh, well, it is what it is. So, wow. But uh, So they, they left me up at, uh, up at Creech for a while until they figured out what, you know, what exactly my career was going to be. I basically had to fight to stay in. Mm-hmm. The Air Force, they wanted to medically retire me. And uh, at the time, I was a major with, you know, like 15 years of service in. Mm-hmm. And the, so they wanted to retire me. Actually, I, was, I, hadn't, I hadn't quite hit 15 yet. I think it was like 14, 14 and some change or something. And uh, so they wanted, to, they wanted to medically retire me, and I kept fighting it. I had a line number for lieutenant colonel, and they wanted to get me out by December. And I was like, I, I pin on in February. <laughs> At least let me uh, – I want to answer the phone and say lieutenant colonel sometime. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So – so I, I kept fighting it and fighting it, and uh, it, it kept going higher and higher. And finally, it went all the way up to the Secretary of the Air Force, and uh, she finally said, "Yeah, you're a rated pilot. We need rated pilots that don't fly to, to do something." So they're like, "Yeah, we'll keep you in." And uh, so then they they sent me down to Nellis, and uh, I've been the Inspector General at Nellis now for for about a year and a half. Oh wow! So, oh, that that is so cool. Yeah. That that's yeah. In, so it's, yeah. It's it's definitely something I never thought I would, you know. Obviously, my career just taken several different paths that I, I'd never expected yeah. before. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, you know, in the at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't change anything. It's it's made me who I am, and I, I yeah, I, mean, I enjoy you, what I'm doing. You push so. through every single I don't know quote unquote setback, and uh, <laughs> just you know don't let anything, you know, get in your way. I mean that that yeah. that's impressive. I mean a lot of people give up when they have bad news or. Yeah. you know, have to face something mm-hmm. like diabetes or even cancer for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that, that, that's all impressive. And, and the interesting thing about diabetes and aviation is, is we're now seeing such, um, you know, leaps in technology as far as management uh, of diabetes mm-hmm. that, you know, there are commercial pilots now that are getting medical, yep. you know, clearance to fly. Uh, right. you know, commercially. So, uh, that's good news for, you know, diabetics or somebody that's, you know, mm-hmm. just became a diabetic that has a dream of flying, that there are more avenues yeah. opening up all the time. It's, it's a lot of the other countries have been allowing type ones to fly for a while. There's obviously a difference between type one and type two is, is considerable. You know, most right. uh, type twos are not insulin dependent and, mm-hmm. uh, type ones you are. And the, the theory behind the FAA why they don't want diabetics flying, or at least type one diabetics flying, is if you take too much insulin, uh, you get you know your blood sugar gets too low and you can pass out and become incapacitated. And right. That's not usually a good thing when you're flying an airliner full of you know 400 people behind. You. <laughs> so, yeah. So they, they they try to they kind of frown on that, but uh, type two diabetics, as long as you're not insulin dependent, there there's basically no restrictions. They'll, they'll give you a, a first or second class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a special issuance, but they'll 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 do it as long as you're it's under control and you're not insulin dependent. Um, mm-hmm. Type ones, 
um, haven't had that luxury, at least in the U.S. They have in Britain and Australia and Canada and a bunch of other countries. They, you know, Type 1s have been flying for almost 10 years now. And uh, the mm -hmm. FAA, as of a year ago this month, they, they finally agreed to allowing Type 1s to get a first or second class medical, which allows you to fly commercially. And uh, it wasn't until the beginning of the, of the year uh, I think it was like January or February where the, the first few uh, airline pilots actually got certified. I think the first guy was a Southwest pilot. And uh, there, so there's, there's a few, a handful of uh, type 1 diabetics now flying in the, in the U.S. Uh, on the airlines and corporate. So nice. um, it's, it's just going to get, you know, it's just going to get better uh, yeah. with the technology we have. Right. You know, it's it's so easy to manage your diabetes your diabetes nowadays. So it's it it shouldn't yeah. be a, a limiting factor at all anymore. Mm -hmm. So, so I think over the years, you know, give it another couple of years, and it, it's going to be most people won't even be talking about it now. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, so true. Yeah, I mean, just seeing the the management technology uh, throughout the years, just since I got it, you know, back mm -hmm. in '96 is when I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. um, but, uh, yeah, wow. Crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, geez, what, what else are we going to cover? We've, geez, we've covered almost, almost, I, gosh, all the way up to the MQ nine and Tony, what, go I, ahead. I want to hear about your yak, man. Yeah. <laughs> My yak. It's just, yeah, yeah, so, it's not uh, a yak, man. So, it's not a yak, so man. It, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> so, uh, what was it? I guess it's been about five years ago now, uh, a buddy of mine. So, um, I, I taught a friend of mine how to fly. He bought his himself a 172, and then I taught him how to fly in it. And then he decided he wanted something a little bit faster, so he bought a Mooney, and I taught him how to fly that thing. And then he's like, you know, I kind of really want to do some aerobatics. I'm like, oh, cool. I taught aerobatics when I was in college. Let's let's find some uh, let's find an airplane. And uh, we started looking around at different airplanes, decathlons, and um, stuff like that. And uh, mm -hmm. and then he sent me a picture of of the Yak, and he's like, what do you think about a Yak? I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> so we went out and uh, we went out to uh, a Chino in California and looked at this uh, looked at this yak, the, the one I have now. And he's like, "Yeah, I, uh, you know, we went up and flew it. And, you know, the the owner and everything. He flew my buddy first, and then he flew me and came back. And he, my buddy asked me, hey, what do you think about it?' I'm like, "Yeah, it's a good airplane.' He's like, "Cool, I'm gonna buy it. Okay, <laughs> so he bought it right there on the spot. You know, made it. You know, we went into a little restaurant there and did the deal on a little napkin, just like you hear about in the movies." And, uh, <laughs> Funny. And so, you know, I was flying that, you know, teaching him to fly the, the yak uh, for the last, you know, five years. And then about two years ago, um, he decided he wanted to move to Mexico. And uh, with the yak being an experimental aircraft, he didn't want to take it down there, or he can't take it down there with the U.S. registry. And so he's like, hey, do you want to buy it? I'm like, sure, I'll buy it. So I've been flying the thing for four years, and I knew all the maintenance for it and everything else. Yeah. So I bought a yak. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I've been flying it. You know, my it's been my airplane now for, I guess, about two years. So, so and that's but, yeah, uh, we yeah, talked into giving us a ride in, correct? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll Man. give you a ride. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever, we're, we're whatever it costs, I'll pay for whatever I need to. I would love <laughs> to go up in a yak. Yeah. Does that mean you'll pay you for your brother too? Uh, no, just for me. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be so much fun, and, and a lot of people don't uh, 
you know, a yak is, and it's a yak 52. And Correct. You know, some listeners might not really, why don't you explain to people exactly what sure. a yak looks like and, and what it is? Yeah, so it's it looks a lot like a World War II airplane. You know, it's got a big radial engine. Um, even though my airplane was built in 1988, um, most of the Yak 52s they didn't start making them until 1976. 77s when the production really kicked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all made in Romania. So mm. um, uh, it was a Russian design, uh, and uh, they leased it out to the Romanians, and they built them. And my particular airplane went in the service with the Ukrainian Air Force. And uh, flew with the Ukrainian Air Force from '88 until '99, and then uh, it's, a, cool. it's a primary trainer for them, kind of like like our Air Force's T6. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the Russian equivalent. It's it's a two seat tandem airplane. Um, it's a big nine cylinder uh, M14P engine, 360 horsepower. Nice. Um, it's built like a tank. I mean, it flies like a military aircraft. It's I mean, it, it is. It, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very similar. It, you know, I enjoy flying it because it reminds me of flying a T-38. It, it flies just like what I would expect a, a military plane to fly like. Mm, cool. um, it's fully It's fully aerobatic. Um, it was based on uh, several designs, um, but they had the Yak-50, which won the aerobatic competition back in the 70s, the international aerobatic competitions, and they basically made a two-seat version of it. And uh, the cockpit's all laid out kind of like a jet fighter. Um, the RPMs are in percentage instead of uh, like an R- actual RPM. Oh, so when, when students go to, to the jets, they kind of already know what they're talking about when they're talking about percentages and stuff. Um, but the cockpit's all laid out like uh, like a jet fighter. So it, uh, it it's a fun little airplane. But, uh, yeah, it's a two-seat tandem airplane, big radial engine. Um, most people think it's a, like I said, think it's a World War II airplane. But uh, it's a, it is a warbird. It's a Cold War airbird. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, right. Cold War era. <laughs> Yeah, and there, so, there's lots of photos on your on your Instagram. Get, give everybody what uh-huh. your uh, your Instagram handle is, so they can go check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's at chrisair.net. I'm sorry, that's my that's my website. <laughs> it's at chrisair aviation. There you go. <laughs> so at yeah, chrisair Chris aviation. aviation. Yeah. yeah, go go give so. go give Taz a follow. That's he's got some really cool a uh, lot of air to air video um, photos. Uh, Gosh, his yak, helicopters, and there's even really cool B1 photos in there. And there, there's a really cool B1 photo that you posted fairly recently of your uh, Finney flight. It looks like uh-huh. um, you're either just pulling away or pulling up to, to take some gas from a KC-135. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that was on my Finney flight. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a, such a cool photo too. So, <laughs> yeah, go go follow uh, go follow Taz at Chris Air Aviation. Great photos on there. Looking at it right now. Thank you. And Taz, you're, you're still instructing down in Las Vegas, right? I am. Yeah, I'm the chief instructor at Airwork Las Vegas. I've been uh, instructing there for about seven years. Um, I've been in Vegas now. Almost it'll be eight years in March, and mm-hmm. uh, so I've been instructing there for for about seven years. Uh, airplanes and helicopters, both. So. And if, if people want to contact it keeps you, me busy. oh yeah, definitely. If people want to contact you uh, specifically uh-huh. for flight lessons, what's the best way to do that? Through Instagram, through the school? Yeah, probably. Yeah, Instagram or the school, either one. Uh, the school has a Instagram as well, and they've got a website. Um, and uh, either one is is fine. You can contact me through either one. Okay, and what's the school's so. Instagram? Um. 
that's a great question. I think it's Airworks LV. <laughs> I think at Airworks LV. <laughs> okay. The, the school's name is Airwork Las Vegas, so okay. I'm sure if you start typing in Airwork, it'll probably pop up. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll look at it. Right. Let's see. Airwork Las Vegas. Okay, so Airworks LV, that's the name of the company? Yep. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. So that Instagram is at Airwork Las Vegas. So okay. there you go. Cool. Airwork Las yeah. Vegas. Awesome. Well, do... Brothers, anybody else have a question to ask for Taz? Yeah, I don't know, Ryan. I mean, is it? I, I always like to ask if if there's any anything we didn't really cover, anything that you would have wanted us to ask you, any other specific story. Um, oh, you know, your your whole history is so just fascinating. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I okay. Go go right ahead. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know. You guys ask a lot of good questions, and it, it's fun because I like uh, I like reminiscing about you know things that I've I've done. You know, flying the B one and the T thirty eight's been fun. So yeah, um, I, I enjoyed I enjoy what I'm doing now too. You know, teaching teaching students, and mm -hmm. you know, I've always been a, been fun. It's always been fun being an instructor. You know, I I like helping somebody achieve a goal. You know, whether yeah. it's a 16-year-old that's soloing on his 16th birthday, or you know, an 80-year-old guy that's always wanted to learn how to fly. You know, it's just it's neat to see their eyes light up when they when they actually figure it out or or something. So to me, that's that's the heart of aviation is is the feeling that that aviation gives you. So yeah. That's you know that that's that's why I do it. So I don't know it, it, anything. I, I you know I like to talk aviation all day long. So yeah, this is great. <laughs> exactly. We'll definitely have to. Do do this again and get some more of these sure. these B one stories and even your MQ nine stories. We didn't really get into it oh, this yeah. time, but I mean the MQ nine is what took out Soleimani. So yep. it, it's it's a it's a badass machine out there. Well, and I was gonna <laughs> say I was gonna say you still got to blow shit up. You just didn't have to leave Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I mentioned it the last time. You know, it's it's definitely weird where. You know, you go home. You know, the B one, I felt like I was making a difference to the guys on the ground. You know, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and you know the last story I told you about. You know, letting them, the guys sleep. That you know, that's that's a perfect example. Um, you know, or you know, and saving the guy uh, with my first mission. But uh, yeah. in yeah. the MQ nine, you know, it was it was different because we were we were taking out, you know, head guys. You know, these yeah. big name people, and it was making a impact to the entire war. You know, so, you know, I'd go to work and, you know, do a strike and, and take out somebody. And then I come home and it's on the news. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading wow. about, about some, you know, some shithead that's, that's now dead. You know, and it's like, yeah. huh. <laughs> you know, like, I can't tell anybody about it. You know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, Honey, you know, was that it's definitely, you? It's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's definitely different, you know, and you're, you know, I, in the morning, you know, I'm blowing somebody up and the next thing you know i'm on the strip you know walking down the strip and watching everybody on vacation so it's it's different it's a different lifestyle that's for sure but mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um wow so cool stuff yeah. oh well dang yeah geez we covered a lot of great stuff yeah geez thanks again taz i i mean absolutely uh, this has just been awesome to hear all your stories just <laughs> appreciate it and and we appreciate your service and mm -hmm. i mean Thank you. Talk about an amazing story, you know, having to go through, you know, fighting cancer and, and uh, you know, hanging in there and, 
and mm -hmm. gosh, just it's inspiring, man. Really is. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you bet. And and we will have you on again to actually do a real second. <laughs> a uh, real again, yes. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a real second. <laughs> <laughs> all right well for sure anytime yeah well again and and i i, I want to say thank you for your service as well i really appreciate it so well thank you guys for your support we all appreciate it hey we're yeah. we're happy to do that. that's you. why we're here so um well i think we'll maybe leave things uh with taz uh right there and then uh hopefully we'll get uh we'll get him on soon uh once again i'd like to hear some more reaper stories for sure um, and, uh, Aaron, why don't you let everybody know where people can reach you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at Aaron Rumfollow, pretty much any and all social media, you know, uh, uh Twitter, Instagram, uh, parlor, um, Facebook, of course, but, uh, I always say this, but anything aviation, follow us at ramp check global. <clears throat> Ryan and uh, Ryan, Tony, you awake? I'm here. <laughs> you always, you always uh, be the mediator in this. Um, you can just find me at Rum Follow Me, both on Twitter and Instagram. All right, Tony. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can find. Oh wait, you can't find me on Instagram. <laughs> You're in jail still. I am. Uh, still is. I you am... just need to start a new handle. I know. I'm, I'm going to have to. It just I want to try and get that one back because I've got so much that's been up there from over the years before I decided to voice my displeasure at certain things. Uh, anyway, um, hopefully once it comes back, at T-Rum Follow. But if you were following me on Instagram and you'd like to follow me on Twitter, that's where you can find me, at T-Rum Follow. Of course, all of our aviation stuff, at Ramp Check Global. By the way, uh, today, uh, November 23rd, 2020, we just hit 11,000 followers. So uh, yes, thank, you. thank you to everybody. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for all the support on Instagram. Uh, and of course, of your support here of the podcast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you can get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe, uh, share with your friends and family, give us a five-star rating where you can. And uh, don't forget about the complete other side of Ramcheck Global, or I shouldn't say other side, but the other part of us, <laughs> maybe. Um, www.rampcheckglobal.com. Uh, that's your one stop for a lot of stuff. We've got our aviation and aerospace news website, uh, Ramcheck Report. You can get there. You can get all the podcast episodes, our YouTube from there as well. Um, hey, if you love what you're doing and you want to throw a few bucks our way, <laughs> you can... Um, Join our Patreon. Uh, we've got a few Patreon members right now, and they're getting some cool free swag. And um, uh, just it's another way to show support for the podcast. It helps us continue to do what we love to do, and that's help you support what you love to do. Um, I guess I just made that up. That was awful. I know. Um, but uh, you can also go to the Ram Swag store. And uh, I can't stress this enough, guys. Thanksgiving is just a couple of days away from uh, when we drop this podcast. 
and uh, that means all the Black Friday madness, all the the Cyber Monday BS goes on. So go to the Ram Swag store, get your Ram Swag, get it early uh, because you don't want it yes. to uh, you don't want it to be late for Christmas. And and or, order early. It's going to be the most busiest online shopping and shipping season ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and there's lots of cool stuff on the ram swag store we're, we're constantly updating it aaron has working had uh, been working his um tail hook off um uh, getting <laughs> thank you but i'm bump um getting uh oh i wanted to ask dan one more question but anyway working on getting a whole bunch of new designs up there including uh, some unique holiday designs including a christmas tree squirt skirt <laughs> I can't even talk. What is dude, brother? What is going on to you tonight? So, once again, www.ramcheckglobal.com. That'll that'll get you everywhere you need to be. So, Dan, one thing I wanted to ask you: um, since we tried this the first time, there have been a couple of developments with the F one seventeen. And uh, and mm -hmm. some being even spotted at Nellis. Did you get a chance to see any of that firsthand at all? Uh, I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> Damn we knew it! That you, was going to be your answer. You military guys. <laughs> 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 well, I had to ask. Um, but anyway. Uh, We'll just take that as a no. Never mind. Um, but Dan, thank you, uh, thank you once again for uh, joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. We can't wait to go up in the yak with you. And uh, absolutely, yeah. And and hopefully we'll see you soon, man or sir. Absolutely. Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I definitely appreciate it. You yeah, bet. Thank you. You betcha. And um, for those of you here listening in the United States, happy Thanksgiving from the Ramcheck podcast. Good day, everyone.